0: Welcome, everyone, to the Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that there's only one thing in the world that could have dragged him away from the soft glow of electric Jesus gleaming in the street. It's Pete. Hello, Pete.
1: Hello, Matt. If I take a night off, people get hurt. The Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 201 bang is brought to you by mr tate's bananas and strawberry rhubarb pie just what you need at nine o'clock in the morning during a hundred degree heat wave water in the court one more outburst and i'll hold you in contempt let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due matt's our teaser night rooftops water towers hopefully they didn't film this around the time there was a massive legionnaires outbreak uh last august in new york city and we pick up after some uh some voices uh hearing that there's a heat wave going on to a foot chase
0: it's just a wonderful wonderful opening so evocative of where i hope they're headed for season two where where things are just a bit more narratively tighter and that's no criticism for for the first season but just what's presented here it's it's so it's so potent the city night stifling heat the city on the ad uh, on the edge sounds of people sounds of new york and, and that little snippet there of seeing daredevil's helmet uh as he's watching over everything, leading to those gunshots ringing out. Just a fantastic start for this second season.
1: As we catch up with the bad guys there running toward the camera, uh, you can definitely notice there was a very heavy purple glow coming out of one of the windows. I have to imagine a nod to Jessica Jones as we continue to expand this Hell's Kitchen Marvel street level hero ethos. Um, but not before long, uh, suddenly daredevil is, uh, fighting these guys. There's a briefcase that suddenly spilling diamonds. There's cops, uh, a, uh, call nine one one is quickly thrown to, uh, one of the cops after, uh, one of the toughs is taken down one retreats into a, a Chinese kitchen Um, hopefully he didn't go in there for the takeout because, uh, once Daredevil took him out, he got taken out by a couple of the cooks. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, Matt is nothing sacred. One of these guys takes a hostage and goes into a church.
0: Indeed, that church with that, that, uh, that neon cross outside and pete it's never a good idea to take your hostage not only in a church but back towards the backlit glass mural of christ himself christ upon the cross uh with that the billy club taking out most of the lights enough to simulate darkness for television and this is an episode here and in future scenes that really pushes using the darkness, pushes having characters in shadow and complete blackness. And that's all but what we get as uh, Daredevil is shown in profile approaching, approaching the tough, as you call him, Pete.
1: And we're treated to our title card from My Money, the best song for the Marvel TV shows so far.
0: Yeah, it was weird because the... I think that there have been better title sequences than what Daredevil has. Uh I particularly like the Jessica Jones one, but that I don't know, the music, just that that the driving beat to it, and then kind of the, the heartbeat, boom boom, boom, boom at the end as the Marvel logo comes in. It's uh it's fantastic stuff. And from that we transition from night to day. It's your requisite fire hydrant spring uh for children in the heat type moment and uh with that pete our heroes enter the frame
1: hey you guys got money for an ice cream cone but uh kidding aside here foggy is sore he's been out dancing uh it was uh bethany the barista here but he's one and done as he walks into a black woman on the sidewalk
0: and Pete, long-time listeners of the Fantastic Geek Podcasts and the things which came before it, know that we know Bethany's are nothing but trouble. So I'm glad that that was one and done, and uh, that just all the better for Foggy's sake. Um, and the conversation unfolds, and Pete something which is frequently discussed on our podcasts especially at the start of a season is the need for exposition the mm-hmm. need to explain things here we were halfway through the scene and i was like you just you just hid peas in my mashed potatoes foggy <laughs> isn't just talking about his love troubles because matt isn't there as a as a wingman It's not just things like Matt is bleeding because that's a reminder, by the way, that Foggy knows about the Daredevil uh, uh, secret and all of that. But we get as the scene unfolds a review of how these two have have a professional relationship together, a friendship together, what they do, where they do it, what their legal philosophy is. It's just an amazing scene to watch unfold as they're essentially recapping the first season for us.
1: Yeah, and the concept of their bromance has never been more front and center than it is in this episode. There's an acceptance of what Matt does compared to, you know, Foggy's outright rejection of his choices in, you know, the, the second third of the, uh, the first season, but you know, the concern, making a promise cross cross your heart you you won't get into any kind of trouble. And it's it's just really good. And they've fallen into such a rhythm, um, you know, Charlie Cox and Eldon Henson, that it, it's a joy to watch. You you root for this friendship.
0: And in that friendship, we get the best of the the illustrative exposition the story of Mrs. Almeida who had come to Nelson and Murdoch to get legal help for for spousal abuse and the best that they could do was refer her to a shelter Uh, but there are two types of justice Matt reminds us um, Mr. Almeida was uh, set on killing his missus and you know, courtesy of Daredevil, courtesy of of Matt crossing over to that second type of justice. Mr. Almeida ended up in the hospital, beat to heck and uh restraining order stapled to his chest, a reminder that uh that, you know, though Daredevil operates on the other side of the law, it's ostensibly under the scope of justice.
1: Yes, not before we get our first S-word, Matt, of the oh. episode and the new season. Yes, we will. I will be cataloging.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the counter has been reset. I'm glad you pushed the button, Pete.
1: <laughs> um, but no sooner are we in a bustling um Nelson and Murdoch office. Al- almost wasn't sure it was the right place. It was so busy. Um, you know, there's people milling about, filling out forms, and the lovely. Karen Page, Deborah Ann Wall back, of course, running it all.
0: And even here, we're getting some degree of exposition. Uh, I, I agree, Pete, that the notion of the office hopping, it's like, hey, this looks like this looks like their office. But why are there people in yeah, here? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, amidst the. I'll say window dressing, but I don't mean it disrespectfully at all. The the, the 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 little tiny stories of the guy with the, uh, shall we say, energetic dog, the fighting neighbor, the woman needing help with her working papers. Uh, we then see payments via bananas and strawberry rhubarb pie. It all serves a story purpose, though. It's contrasted with the notion that courtesy of this freebie accounting software... Karen is able to calculate that they are totally broke as in no money and you just step back and go, oh wow, they've just reintroduced her, they've reintroduced the situation, they've reintroduced the legal philosophy under which the office works and it all just feels real.
1: I get that they accept essentially anything They're doing this out of the kindness of their hearts for the community that they grew up in. But I find it just slightly stretching reality that they're as busy as they are. Those were the nine o'clock appointments, Matt, including the dog that, uh, you know, humped the St. Francis patron saint of animals, by the way, statue and there's a whole 10 o'clock slate, I find it hard to believe that every single one of them is paying in stuff and things.
0: I I guess I I can't disagree. How about this? Whatever their operating costs are, which, you know, it's, it's New York, it's New York rent, etc. Whatever their operating costs are, let's suppose that they are coming in, they're making less than those operating costs. Or, or just barely breaking even, um, so is it po- is it possible, Pete, that that they are making a fair share of money? It's just not enough to justify the rent, justify the electric, and so forth.
1: Well, I mean, Karen says that uh, they're they're not keeping up with their expenditures. So I can certainly see where we know that the real estate is expensive, the the rent, et cetera, et cetera, that they're they're not. Uh, their 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 income doesn't cover their bills. but I don't know. and and i I get it. It's story convenience. it's a it's a continuation of the comic idea that people pay them in, you know, boxing gloves and and things like this. But um, I don't know. i I just would think that maybe if you're gonna change things up a little bit, all right, find another way to make it a little bit more narratively convenient. But it's a small qualm.
0: Well, Pete, no qualms that Matt has a solution. They're going to get through it together, (laughs) which struck me as – let me put it this way, Pete. I have been on both sides of of the financial discussion, one being, I'm sure we'll figure it out. Now you go figure it out because I just don't really know the numbers. And I've also been like, no, no, no. You need to understand that 1 plus 1 equals 2, not 22. Um, So I I, I guess what I'm trying to say, Pete, is I'm a little sympathetic to the notion of him saying, you know what, team, as the de facto captain, we are going to power through this. With that, Karen, go find money somewhere. I'm going to close my door and deal with uh, working papers lady.
1: It says a lot with how terrible things were in Hell's Kitchen at the beginning of – Daredevil and our Defenders series is that there, there's a hopeful optimism that pervades this trio that uh, even with what went on in the in the uh, the tease that, OK, these guys are going to get caught. Um, and again, it's really present in this episode, despite the fact, Matt, that something or someone is out there.
0: The story moves to night with a car gliding through the darkness. Again, another scene where uh, they're they're pushing the degree of of uh, blackness on the screen, <laughs> literal blackness. And it's not a complaint. It's just a, uh, I think it's an interesting uh, visual choice to make. Um, but anyhow, there's a distinguished goon, if that's not an oxymoron, but uh, I'd say that's what he is. Uh, he's looking on. Um Mr. Nesbitt has arrived and uh, he passes the fighting pit bull on its way out. Pete, that's some television shorthand for a bunch of real bad guys since they fight dogs and presumably do worse than leave dogs with a little scratch on the ear.
1: Yes, Mr. Nesbitt is uh, apologized to because the dog's blood is still up. Uh, he didn't have that fight 10 minutes ago. So we get a sense that recently something's gone on inside Matt. Of course, the place smells like dog ass too. Uh, but it's the concept in here, a little tough on first watch, I think to, to put some of the storytelling together, you know, there's some glares out of some different people, our boy Grotto gets called out by name, um, you know, being a being a brown nose to Mister Nesbit, um, and uh, you know Nesbit begins talking about how this is a celebration, uh, future of family, gratitude to um, you know one particular person's father who we we mention uh twice within this scene but never receive a name or anything like that uh and sober reflection that 200 years ago these people were dirt farmers till we finally learn okay this is irish mafia this is um you know, they're harkening back to the days where they ruled Hell's Kitchen with judges and cops and councilmen in their pockets, but they became complacent. A piece of garbage like Wilson Fisk, Matt. Remember him? Uh, he stole what was theirs.
0: It's uh, There's an evocativeness to this scene. And, and I think it's a scene that is overflowing with story either left on the cutting room floor or just... Overflowing with story for the sake of really feeling feeling authentic and not feeling as a setup for what's about to occur. I love the table loaded loaded Pete with ham steak and potatoes, um, <laughs> some some doubtless Irish whiskey there as well. There's a quick cut outside to the distinguished goon hearing something, uh, seeing yeah. nothing, and um, I think even if you know where this season is headed, uh, let alone this episode. Um, I think the assumption at this point is supposed to be, oh, he, he hears Daredevil. It's going to be, it's gonna be a, a Daredevil moment. Uh, but then we go back inside, Nesbitt continuing to monologue against those who worked with Fisk, those who ignored the Irish, uh, this uh, episode and the whole season premiering the day after St. Patrick's Day, although the, obviously th- this episode is set in the summer. We get some seamless recap here as well. Fisk is gone. The Russians are gone. The Chinese are gone. The Yakuza is gone. And it's like, wow, I remember I remember that first furtive meeting at the top of the unfinished building with yes. Bob Gunton and not everybody from the Russian-Chinese-Yakuza-Fisk uh, alliance Nobu. even speaking in that scene. Nobu.
1: Madam um, Gao.
0: Good. I, I wonder if we'll see Madam Gao again. Um
1: Well, they've turned tail, Matt. They've left the drug trade right for the taking. And, uh, you know, again, this one gentleman's uh, making his father proud is referenced. And they're going to purge the filthy traders. So just as he does that, he picks the bottle up. We're going to talk in our um, sidebar segment what exactly was going on with that. But, Matt, you think one thing's going to happen and something else does.
0: Yeah, then shots ring out and the room is suddenly filled with bullet holes and and and, and The people are filled with bullet holes. (laughs) This is true. Yeah, people and things filled with bullet holes, uh, shattering glass, the newly dead. Um, And and it's just uh, a viciousness that I think, you know, again, it's, well, certainly it's no spoiler at this point to say we're clearly headed towards Punisher. Um, But then you say, oh, that's where all of this fits. And once the dead have been accounted for, there's this wonderful exhale from the scene as uh, that lone survivor comes out from behind the bar and um, great, great close-up on the table, the meat and potatoes red with blood and uh, a bit of a touch of humor as the one dead man's phone rings with an Irish jig.
1: It was great. It, it, you know, just a, a brutality that um, artistically within this TV... What have we been calling this? TV sixteen, if you will, uh works. Uh, even the the choice of the slow-mo on some of the shots and not on others, the one guy taking it in the neck, um grotto having been wounded in the side, uh, wiggling out of this jam before we're at Josie's.
0: Pete, it's a it's a hot but enjoyable night there in Josie's bar. Nelson Murdoch and Paige are playing pool and uh, it's great to see all three of them together again with that wonderful rapport um, separate from whatever sizzles between Matt and Karen. The three of them together it takes a different uh, takes a different dynamic there. Um, but speak of that sizzle Pete Poggy, uh, foggy steps away to visit the bathroom and uh, well then then the numbers are down to two.
1: Yeah, and, and we've seen hints of this come in the final scene between uh, Murdoch and Paige at the end of the first season really kind of hinted toward something else possibly brewing. And, uh, you know, him using, of course, his gifts and uh, Karen really kind of uh, flirting with everything going on here, again, the, the setting, it's, it's warm out. They've, uh, they're in this very familiar bar. They've just saved her from drinking this uh, dangerous water. And, uh, you know, the, the hands coming together, the music fading, and the heartbeat used to really good effect throughout this episode to give us a sense of what's going on between the two of them. And then, with foggy back, um, you know, of course, teasing um, Matt about the connection between the two of them. It's no secret that uh, in the first season, he had his heart, at least at one point set on Karen. But uh, with her off to get some drinks, suddenly, the heartbeat effect comes back. and And that's why I think it's it's just well written we're gonna we're gonna show it to you here you're gonna hear it here and then we're gonna use it again and we're gonna make it different so that we can tell something else is going on
0: yeah it 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 really is uh it's a great use to first introduce or reintroduce uh for this season his senses and and that kind of the the visual language of the camera uh with the the super tight uh focus um and to then immediately use it again. Ostensibly, Matt is just kind of tracking her to the bar, but then picking up this, uh, this, this uh, second heartbeat there. He's then sensing a man who has adrenaline up in his finger, uh, tapping a trigger, uh, which, Pete, all spells not great things, although a little, uh, little caveat there from Foggy, probably half the people in the bar are packing heat, as, uh, as the gun fans say.
1: This is a different Matt that we're seeing. Who goes up to this guy in the middle of this bar with people that he considers vulnerable, that he's there to protect, and and he confronts him. You know, are you new here, friend? This is a good place. These are good people. You can drink anywhere.
0: I welcome that slight shift. I think that it is a in line with. The core Matt Murdock, who is somebody who's going out night after night to protect these people, to protect the people of his community, but also the, the public Matt Murdock, somebody who is now known in the community as somebody who has a little, I don't quite say swagger, but somebody who has some, some importance in the community. So why wouldn't he go up to this guy and just say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood, keep on moving?
1: Well, I, I dig the evolution, but it, you know, just pointing out, we've not seen him before. Uh, he mentions, however, that he's there on business. It's not what you think. He's looking for Nelson and Murdoch. Uh, and this must be the blind one.
0: <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, so astute of him to notice. Um, he, he tells them off to the side that he, he is named Grotto. Hey, that's the survivor of the, ta- the attack. Isn't it Pete? Yes. Um, he says that there was a massacre pete it looked like a war zone get it war zone like like punisher war zone
1: yes and that there was an army you know like more than one person
0: that is a fun little game that the episode plays thankfully just for the rest of the episode not more um You just need to see one preview and know the character of the Punisher to know it's one guy. But presumably you could be, A, watching this with someone who doesn't know or doesn't quite get the connection. Or B, I think it just internally makes sense in the story, even if you know it's going to be one guy, the Punisher. It is still logical to assume that Carnage of this level is multiple people with paramilitary experience.
1: Grotto goes on to explain that uh, this is not a story. This is a fact that the Burn Club, 47th and 10th, you can go see it for yourself, he has been completely blown away. His involvement in the organization asked by Karen is that he's run with them for a long time. He's done some pickups, drop offs. Uh, he's no choir boy, but he's been able to skirt the surface unlike the guys he works for and the guys who did this. And again, with the heartbeat, Matt is able to detect because of the slowness here that he is telling the truth and we don't need to be hit over the head. I believe you because I just heard a slow heartbeat. Again, the the narrative on this second season we do have new showrunners taking over from Steven Knight. We have uh, Doug Petrie and uh, playwright, actually uh, Marco Ramirez.
0: There's a noticeable change in pace, as I mentioned before, to this season, and some of it is just because you don't need to go. Hey, what if? Pause, pause. We opened a law firm together. Hey. What if I put on red underwear and fought bad guys at night? You're, you know, like you don't need that build up. You don't need to earn it. So you, you know, it, it's Empire Strikes Back, man. You don't need to explain why there's an empire and why people are fighting it. Um, but still, I think there might have been a discussion to say, season one worked. How do we make it better? Not oh, here were problems. How do we how do we fix them? And you see that in this scene. I love that Grotto is selling himself as somebody who was in this high-level meet, but a low-level goon. He kind of maybe there was some crime, but not too deep in the crime. I need witness protection, though. Um, that said, there's something so reassuring that a goon like this would go to the reputable law firm of the of the neighborhood. And uh, there's the the line there that Nelson and Murdoch have put their faith in the people, and that's what Grotto needs now, somebody to put their faith in him.
1: No S, Matt, number three, but it's from there that we flip back to the Burren Club where an African-American detective is examining an enormous hole in a dude
0: it's a funky shot but i kind of like that they did it i here's what i suspect pete they're on the set they have a dummy that has a big giant hole in it and somebody says you know i think i can get the camera close enough where this isn't going to look like it's in there and then we'll pull it out and it will be and it'll be great um because it was i have not seen something like that before and uh by the way pete did you catch that amidst all the carnage somebody's missing a hand detail maybe for the future
1: it's 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 gonna take a week to process this S for Matt, <laughs> um, but uh, um, suddenly we have uh, uh, Brett Mahoney, okay, Sergeant Brett Mahoney, Mahoney, ex of, ex of the uh, the desk um, in the Hell's Kitchen police precinct, now out protecting a scene and suddenly uh, Foggy and Matt are on their way there to try to see what's up, and they run into Brett. No ambulance is here, though, Matt, but not everybody else, my man.
0: This must have been an interesting scene for uh, for the show to, to film. First of all, it is essentially purely sharing of information so it's not not a glamour moment out of uh, out of Brett mahoney uh, out of uh, actor Royce Johnson uh, but that's okay um, what we get here though is uh, after a little bit of uh, a back and forth um, where he's he's maybe gonna not share information then Matt listens to the crime scene and then shares some of it because looks like there's some high power firepower perp who's out there or multiple perps um they kind of then have their little side conversation mahoney rebuffs the hypothetical offer of a farm fresh witness uh until matt repeats uh again some of the workings that's going on inside um mahoney says the da is going crazy over this a new player or players as he says with paramilitary background multiple mo's pete it's the lingo um And uh, that certainly is new to us, though, that this is not the first time there's been a shooting like this. Pete Hell's Kitchen is about to explode. And then now that he's shared all that information, he kind of just goes away.
1: Yes, I'm going to say the words that will be in the trailer to set it up. Um, More importantly than that exposition, details that Matt is overhearing from, you know, yards and yards away what kind of bullets punched through polyethylene fiber vests that are apparently really thick, Matt?
0: Pete, it's it's what you do. It's what you wear in that world. It's, it's okay that you're not familiar with vests like that. Um, between this scene and a scene in a little bit, we see what it's like living under Marvel Universe. President of the United States, Matthew Ellis. President Ellis... You know, hashtag thanks, Ellis, that these poor poor Irish businessmen need to wear such things. Pete, doubtless they're afraid of the government.
1: Yeah, uh, and it's the same S on this guy's back. So this bullet blew through the front and the back there for the fifth S word.
0: There's uh, also some background info heard. The dogs of hell, biker gang. Got the same treatment last week. Hey, Pete, that's our multiple M.O. Um, And it's again stressed that these baddies must be a group, you know, a gang. Do you understand, Pete? It's not one man. It's a bunch of people doing this. They're making it totally, totally clear.
1: But the D.A. is going bat s, Matt, six, trying to figure this out. Gang on gang, overkill, new players. What's going on with this hardware that's taken out half the city. What do they want? They don't know who they are. They know who they're not. Maybe the line of the episode, as much as we're going to criticize, uh, Brett's lines being trailer fodder. That's a great line. Hey, you know what,
0: Pete? There's worse. There's worse than being, being trailer fodder. Certainly. Uh, at this point, the story moves to the hospital. Grotto is freaking out that he's in the hospital. Uh, but Karen's been using her noodle. Uh, they're there under a fake name and a fake marriage. Pete, I guess all hospitals don't require, you know, ID and copay pay up front. Th- <laughs> Hashtag thanks, President Ellis. <laughs> Look at what he's ruined now. Ellis Care making the hospitals so awful. Next thing you know, Pete, hospitals like this no-name hospital that he's at, they're going to... Have lousy security, and anybody will just be able to walk on in and have all sorts of trouble. But, but Pete, take
1: us down
0: by the water.
1: After the newly christened Steve Schaefer is told by his new wife Isabel to settle in, we are whisked Matt to the waterfront.
0: Shotguns for sale! Shotguns for sale! But wait a minute, Pete! That nice uh, salesman—he looks a little familiar.
1: That's Turk Barrett,
0: Matt. So great to have him back. Um it's just the notion that he's selling just a trunk full of shotguns to people, telling people, "Hey, with this new army, the Punisher on the streets, you don't need an automatic weapon. This'll do just fine." I mean, it's the ultimate Pete, it's the ultimate uh New York City con man to uh not be you know, the other New York city con man, but that's a different story in a different podcast. Pete daredevil shows up and gives old Turk Barrett a good ride through the window while it's closed.
1: Yes. Not before he uh, throws what the subtitles <clears throat> identified as a pipe, <laughs> but was his baton off the face of one of the guys that Turk is given a hard time about his marksmanship.
0: Uh, I, I like that there's um, the sharing of information here to Daredevil. It's a nice explanation of what's going on. I won't I won't beat the exposition the exposition drum again, but it is a nice reminder that with Fisk gone, there is a vacuum, and every gang, big and small, is looking to fill it. And you know that's that's the crux of where things are at. That you know the devil you know and the devil you don't. That whole that whole aphorism is so true that Fisk was keeping a certain level of stability and peace between the factions and all of that, and it's all gone now. Um, and it's presented with this nice rapport between him and <laughs> D, uh, although Barrett does get knocked out, his hand broken, and keys thrown in the river for his troubles.
1: Yes, the necessary information, though, that uh, <clears throat> the cartel may even be involved here that they're moving heavy munitions from Juárez, Mexico. There's a warehouse in the meat packing district on 13th Street. But come on, D. I'm out on parole. I missed Hell's Kitchen, Matt. Keys in the water. Oh, who am I kidding? I'll be out in a month. Good night. See you then.
0: It's it's just a ton of fun. It really is. And for me to get the emotional takeaway from that scene of like oh what do you do when your keys are thrown in the river i feel bad for him even though he's an awful guy it just means that something weird and wonderful is working there pete speaking of places that are not weird or wonderful because i don't want to get my butt kicked the story moves to the dogs of hell club foggy's there to meet his friend smitty uh, this clearly isn't Foggy's kind of club, though uh, he is walking into the belly of the beast. Uh, I I approve of the idea that we're not quite sure why he's here. Um, it's a little strange for the show to kind of not have a thing of, well, I'm going to go run down a lead. Um, it just seems a bit out of the blue, but I'm okay with it. He's taken to the pool table. He's knocked around a bit. There's a great mystery uh, about him and his old friend from the third grade. At this point, I was not sure of the purpose of the scene, but he gets taken out back because that's what they do with lawyers and mystery abounds. And we'll be back to the Dogs of Hell Club soon, Pete.
1: Yeah, I I liked the the playfulness of it at the same time being unsure of what they were going to do. I almost thought the, the one biker was going to be like, hey, Foggy, it's me. I didn't want to... Uh, people thinking less of me because i went to catholic school or something like that
0: right right
1: you know holy s number 10 for uh franklin nelson you know different career paths and all you know not a cop uh i'm a lawyer show them what we think of lawyers
0: kill the lawyers hey hey my biker friend that's a that's a that's a shakespearean reference um, but we'll, we'll return there in a bit, Pete. Elsewhere, Daredevil enters the meatpacking location given up by Turk. Uh, it's a quiet scene, aside from the TV blurring Spanish, um, setting up uh, the, the, the audio in a bit. We see gun cases without guns. Uh, there's also a chance to see more of the, the slightly tweaked Daredevil outfit. Um, it, it the outro definitely works. I think there was something that didn't quite fire in all cylinders when there was the r- reveal last season. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the changes are that have been made, but it's enough to just it just kind of sets a little bit better. Um, it's a slow, largely quiet scene and one that reveals missed the beef and pork, a few dead bodies uh, with pieces cut out of them, Pete. But wait, there's more.
1: Yeah, there's one who's still alive here uh wriggling on the hook
0: and to have his heartbeat heard by daredevil uh that's the the consequence of the scene having been quiet for so long um and i like too that there's kind of a slight lack of finesse as daredevil gets him off the hook like how do you get a guy off there there's carefully uh, carefully indeed but i like that the show takes the opportunity to say Whenever this is taking place in relation to the first season, um, which is clearly within a year, maybe a bit less, um, but this is still a new daredevil. This is still somebody who doesn't have tons of experience in in these different ways in which uh man is beef you know, besetting evil upon his fellow man. Um But speaking of man and man, we return to the dogs of war bar and out back Pete Eldon Henson looks genuinely scared as he's dealing with the sergeant of arms who has a knife.
1: Yes, and explains to him that Smitty is dead. <gasps> that uh, you know, he believes that um, <clears throat> Foggy didn't know. Uh, it's it's been a couple years here, um, but he had mentioned other. Uh, people. There was a guy named Foster. There was a Ricky Wex, but Pope, Pope's the one that lands here. Uh, He had dealt with him with some VA injuries. They uh, got him back on his Harley. You helped Pope, you get out of here then. But what happened to Smitty? Uh, And we finally get the uh, admission of what went down. They were on a run on I-90 with four brothers. They were transporting a big score. They were hit by an army, Matt, cut to pieces like roadkill. You got guts, Harvard, Columbia, actually, Foggy and myself.
0: Yes, I was going to say, Pete, doubtless your heart, your heart uh, beat a bit harder for the the, the pride of, of old Columbia anyhow back to the slaughterhouse we go the the goon formerly on a hook is scared too scared to be left alone wonderful writing moment capitalized on by an actor not playing a large part but just this idea that you know to whatever degree he's aware that life is slipping out of him he does not want to be left alone does not want to risk help being gotten for fear that this, this unseen force, the unseen villain of the season will return. And he confirms Pete that there isn't a, they it's a him. It's one man.
1: Yes. And we all had to know that there would be just one man behind this. Um, I like that. The, the guy being helped off here brings out the idea, you know, I knew the devil would come for me. Just didn't think I'd be alive when it happened. And the uh, understanding that this is what we feared, what he feared, that this is just one one person committing these atrocities. And... It might
0: be an obvious choice, but it is inspired nonetheless to go from the one man is the man, it's not a they, to cut to the hospital and we see one man, we see boots, then we see his head from behind, we see a shotgun barely seen. The security guard sees that too, and Pete, hashtag thanks President Ellis, because there's not better security in hospitals, Uh, the security guard gets punched in the face and his gun thrown in the garbage, Bernthal here keeps moving there's a there's a methodical nature to him he's almost like a terminator but it's not in a cute kind of referential way he just keeps moving uh, and he keeps the shadows too because they're not giving us the reveal of his face quite yet
1: the cop Um, drawing the gun two hits his gun in the trash the the best move there uh by Bernthal as he's stalking his prey yeah, kind of that, uh, that uh,
0: conservation of energy there. Just want to point out, Pete, that this guy does, however, miss three times as he shoots at Grotto. Now, <laughs> perhaps that's, that's just the necessary hand-of-the-writer type, type thing. To be fair, Grotto is on the move. It does become a chaotic situation. Uh, this is not a, a, a sniper situation. This is, you know, door-to-door kind of stuff. But uh, with that, Grotto and Karen
1: on the run out to her car. There's uh, screams, there's uh, the rifle sight on the top of the building, and we can see um, Punisher lining up uh, Grotto. But no sooner does that happen than uh, Daredevil gets the drop on him. There's what what I refer to in my notes, Matt, as highly stylized violence. (laughs) (laughs) Daredevil is down. Suddenly, uh, from the the boot, uh, Punisher pulls a gun, bang, and Daredevil goes over the ledge to end the episode. Well, Matt, let me tell you now about NJ Toys and Collectibles, which has been family-owned and operated with a passion for toys and collectibles for over 20 years. They carry a wide variety of items from Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, as well as many other comic heroes. They proudly ship internationally, and if you buy now and use our exclusive coupon code podcast, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, you can save 10% on your first order. NJ Toys and Collectibles is your source for exceptional, vintage, and modern toys. Visit www.njtoysandcollectibles.com. That's NJ Toys and Collectibles today. Jackson, you're already badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him, a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Matt? Let's begin with RT's these unnamed street toughs. Pete,
0: these three guys, I think they're they're just there to represent, for the fun of it, the the underbelly which still exists in New York City post Fisk. Um, the fact that it's apparently some sort of diamond heist, um, I think that just adds some razzle dazzle to their to their presence. The old briefcases filled with gemstones. Um, it's. I, I think it's just simply meant to be a metaphor for for a larger crime problem and one that has a little pizzazz. And also, we're able to go four of them, three of them, two of them, one of them. Boom. Um, uh, quite the inspired way to start the
1: season. They're masked, so the faceless aspect of it just adds to the Wild West that Hell's Kitchen has become in the power vacuum of Fisk and his uh, major domos no longer really having a grip on things. So to give us that little sequence um, to underscore that, I think, is really necessary.
0: Could you imagine such a robbery occurring under Fisk's uh, watch, for lack of no, a better word?
1: No, and And he'd have to get, his and the cops would be called off of it so it it couldn't happen in the world of last season's Hell's Kitchen it happens now because as our next defendant Nesbitt mentions everything is up for grabs and he's a character
0: who was gone too soon Uh, really a ton of fun his monologue about you know kind of the the, the history of irish mobs in new york city from 1776 to present um it's it's great and it's inspiring and it's setting up a a, a major supporting character for the season and then boom he he gets it and uh, and i think that's it for mr nesbitt Pete. i'll be surprised if we see him again uh, at least uh, in the living world
1: we're going to talk a little bit in our side by segment about his motivations. But yeah, to set up somebody that you think is gonna be a heavy, we're we're parsing the words of that particular scene. You know, who's this guy's father that he seems to work in service of and yeah, the ultimate misdirect. And I like how we're kind of back to the misdirect of of the villain uh, that we've seen in the early Marvel Cinematic Universe before, it was a acknowledgement of of Wilson Fisk.
0: So certainly he's he's dearly departed. I I I, I would like to see more from that Irish gang. I know <laughs> I know we saw a great many of them taken out, but um, I, I would like to see you know the the second layer of lieutenants who weren't at the big meet. Uh, the The meat and potatoes meat, if you will, um so that's something to look forward to in my in my spoiler free existence. Uh, I guess time will tell
1: Turk Barrett Matt, played by the outstanding uh in this scene stealing situation, Rob Morgan
0: I hope we get more of him. I like kind of this notion that. Not that he, Turk, received um, easier treatment or softer treatment from Daredevil. I mean, again, he had a broken hand, was knocked out, um, had his car window broken. But I, I like that Turk feels that they are, if not on the same side, which is not his feeling, but I like that they... There's kind of this acknowledgement that they are both living in this underworld that goes on, so there should be, in Turk's view, a little bit of a quid pro quo or an understanding, uh, given that they're both kind of dealing with the rules that uh, uh, rules outside society, if you will. Only problem is Daredevil doesn't doesn't believe that.
1: Last but not least, of course, Matt, the uh, yet unnamed on-screen Punisher
0: i love that we get him in this episode um the tension of the slow fisk reveal worked last season uh, particularly for an actor of of um that stature and and the fact that as a kingpin uh, as the king you need to work your way up the uh up the royal ladder if you will i love that they give us punisher here i also love pete that we get the season showdown that we've been waiting for After 45 minutes, I love that there is this initial fight um, and it gives so much possibility for these characters to interact in more than a hero and villain type way. I mean, we know in the comics the Punisher is like a good guy, question mark. You know, he's kind of on the good side. Um, So the fact that we're going to potentially get an arc here out of Frank Castle that is uh, because he's introduced so early. Because there's a showdown so early, that just gives tons of character potential, which is what it's all about.
1: I love the initial presentation. Uh, you know, heading into the hospital, appearing for the first time, and that he gets one line of dialogue, and it's the perfect amount. You're on my approach, babe. My I approach the bench? It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. Matt, first up, Nesbitt raising the bottle. Was he going to smack that on the head of the guy in front of you? It really looked like it to me. I know you seem to think maybe a little differently. That's
0: what I thought initially. And then I I, I think not. I think he was going to smash it on the table in some sort of, uh, you know, masculine territorial show of uh, chest beating. Uh, but I definitely did think in the beginning he was going to clock the guy over the head. So it's either an interesting acting choice or there's, there's depth there that I'm not quite fully understanding
1: or or it means nothing. (laughs) How about this, uh, young guy here twice referenced his, his father, the, the pride and the, um, the gratefulness they feel for him. What's, what's going on with this character here? Yeah. It's one of those
0: things where I, I kind of kept saying to myself, you know, let me run it back. Did I miss something here? Um, I don't know if it's perhaps a a comic reference uh, deeper than than my knowledge, uh, or if it's headed somewhere story wise. I it almost had the smell of the former. It almost had the the notion that this was um, going to be somehow, uh, you know, just some kind of deep comic reference. If you get it, great. And if you don't, no big deal because he ends up dead anyway. Um, I guess time will tell. Time and research and, and thoughts from our listeners will all tell.
1: Most importantly, Matt, this one man army is uh credited as being connected to Fisk. What do you think the connection is? We speculated at the end of the first season with a renewal already in hand that the Punisher could be somebody we would see. Do you think that this has come to fruition?
0: I certainly hope so. To me, that makes a ton of sense. The fact that you ended the season with Vanessa in play but out of the picture, Fisk um, out of play and out of the picture and that he's in prison, but both still a source potentially of of, uh, story machinations and and story uh, pondering in episodes to come, I would love nothing more than, oh my goodness, you know, it's the return of Fisk and/or Vanessa in in a later episode and just blowing us away and that reveal. Plus, Peter would make us look really smart because we were talking about uh, Punisher getting hired before they had hired a Punisher, so that'll be all the better for old fantastic geek by the way pete speaking of what is better for fantastic geek just want to thank those of you who are uh, helping us out on patreon patreon.com fantastic geek uh it does uh cost us some money to get the bandwidth and storage to make this podcast and the other fantastic geek podcasts happen so if you value what you listen to why don't you at least head on over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and uh, see the different ways that you can help us out and some of the uh, some of the give backs that we have to say thank you.
1: Listen, not everybody can be as lucky as having uh, Wilson Fisk's deep pockets and his backing. But we do know that our uh, patrons have our back. We are so grateful for uh, everything uh, that they're able to uh, throw our way to keep the podcast coming to you. We have really uh, thought a lot and hard about the uh, rewards that we've put up there. So if you've never checked it out, please just take a look. And if you checked it out before, go back and look. There's some, uh, some pretty cool things going on there. We hope that uh, that might entice you to help us out a little bit more with the podcast. We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. Matt, we will begin on Facebook, uh, facebook facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek, where uh, a message was left for us by jim mccormick and it reads peter needs help with this one before friday hint rhymes with melody and that is of course a uh picture of uh the um the pronunciation for and the youtube pronunciation guide for elodie young ah or elodie as i'm apparently supposed to uh pronounce it there so uh definitely uh thank you for the heads up there jim mccormick pete next up i'd like to mention a
0: piece of correspondence that happened while recording this podcast you had reached out to actor rob morgan who plays Turk barrett uh mentioning that we were talking about him and his response was uh well you said are your ears ringing he said Uh, They wasn't before, but they are now. Glad Turk Barrett is worthy of mention in your Daredevil convo. Mr. Morgan, it is our pleasure to discuss Turk Barrett and your wonderful uh, performance of him. Thank you, sir.
1: Yes, you can find uh, Rob Morgan, he of hashtag Turk Barrett fame uh, on Twitter at Shadow Flack. Flack is spelled F-L-A-C-K. All one word there. So throw them the follow. Tell them Fantastic Geek sent you. With that,
0: Pete, speaking of the Twitter, how can people be in touch with you?
1: You can find me on the Twitter at Peter, K E T E L A 7,281 followers. Can't be wrong.
0: And while I am personally on the Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways, especially since we are starting this new Daredevil season. Feel free to be in touch with our listener line. Leave a message at 732-707-1815. Share your thoughts. Get your voice on the podcast. We are also Fantastic Geek, that's fantastic with a PH, on the Twitter, the Gmail, and the dot com. And there's more, Pete
1: facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word mash that little like button today you won't regret it
0: With that, Pete, with this first episode of the second season of Daredevil now dispensed with on launch day, uh, we will be releasing new episodes to the Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek on Sundays and Thursdays. So if you're subscribed to us on uh, just the Daredevil feed, you can look forward to that. If you listen to us on the Pop Culture podcast feed, you'll be getting the Daredevil episodes along with, of course, the Mothership, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast uh, that released Tuesday night's hours after the episode airs on the east coast so it's a great time to be signed up for the uh, pop culture podcast feed three uh, new podcasts a week plus pete uh, we have uh, of course captain america civil war in may and uh, a little bird told me that some of those dc guys are going to be fighting and we'll be going to the movies for that uh ideally as soon as we possibly can tease tease
1: yeah it's uh it's a great time as far as pop culture is concerned and if you subscribe to the fantastic geek pop culture podcast you get everything we do
0: well with that pete i will say adios to our listeners and give you the final word
1: let's see if we can find you a better way to live in hell's kitchen